0: this episode is brought to you by weatherguard lightning tech at weatherguard we make wind turbine lightning protection easy if you're a wind farm operator stop settling for damaged turbine blades and constant downtime get your uptime back with our strike tape lightning protection system learn more in today's show notes or visit weatherguardwind.com slash strike tape all right welcome back to the uptime podcast i'm your co-host dan blewett We are going to be without our fearless host, Alan Hall, today. He is uh, out of town, but we're going to go ahead. We've got a great episode today. We're talking to Byron Martin and Dan Morgan from Technologize. Byron Martin is CEO and Dan Morgan is their CTO. So really interesting conversation. We wanted to have them on the show because uh, as an IT providing company, they uh, help connect wind farms with the uh, IT solutions that they need to stay up and running. So obviously on the show uptime is, you know, that's the title. That's our sort of overall theme. And uh, with these machines and these these wind sites becoming more and more, um, you know, data driven and analytics driven and, and just very tech heavy, it's no longer just, you know, a, a, a sea of mechanical devices. There is so much technology going on behind the scenes. And uh, the IT departments that help to run these uh, wind sites and keep them up and and keep them, you know, making the proper upgrades over the years. They're just a really integral part of the of the of the process. So in today's show, you're going to hear Mr. Martin and Mr. Morgan, you know, talk about their experience helping wind farms get connected, how they help them upgrade, how they help them make financial decisions and and make sensible decisions. Because as we all know, Upgrading your technology is not easy. There's always like a new laptop, you know, next year. Like, do you get this, get, get the one, do you get the 2019 model? Or do you, you know, wait for the 2020 model? There's always new upgrades. Technology changes so fast. Uh, It's just, it's a really honestly difficult problem. Even for someone like me, like. Do I get the new laptop? Is that going to make my life easier? Is it going to be worth the upgrade? Is this one going to be, you know, what I need for a lower price point? Like, how much do I need to spend to do the job that I want to do? All these problems have major applications uh, for major companies with this high tech machinery. And when we're talking about, you know, the need to put out hundreds of megawatts from every uh, and, and gigawatts from some of these wind sites. They've got to have their technology on point. They cannot have downtime. They cannot have outages and they cannot have hiccups. So um, a really interesting conversation today. We also touched on towards the end. So I really advise you to stick around to the very end uh, on cybersecurity, which is something that's affecting businesses of all sectors, of all sizes, of all uh, of all security levels. And what I mean by that is even. Cybersecurity companies get breached, which is crazy. So we talk a lot about cybersecurity at the end, which has relevance to everyone in every industry. Um, and they talk about that from the standpoint of not only broadly, but also specific to wind sites, because, again, you get breached. Things could go very, very wrong in a hurry. So uh, I want to thank our guests, uh, Byron Martin and Dan Morgan from Technologize. So without further ado, we're going to jump to the conversation. All right. So Byron and Dan, thanks so much for joining us on the show. really appreciate you guys coming on.
1: Yeah, no problem. Excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah. So Washington state, um, how's everything going out there? Obviously it's, it's January. So this is probably a rough time for, for wind energy in general, or is it kind of just business as usual?
1: I think it's business as usual. Yeah,
2: no, I, I think, you know, it's, uh, we've had a, at least here, we've had a light winter. So, you know, mm. I think, it's rough when we have a lot of snow or a lot of ice, but we haven't had that this year. So I think uh, overall it's been pretty nice.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it, it that's one of the impressive things about wind power is that you think that with Mother Nature being as potentially rough as it can be in some of these like crazy you know mountain ranges, and you know Washington get a ton of snow, and uh, but they seem to like carry on pretty well. So um, and obviously there's all these different factors, and it being one of them. So you know it's not just you know the durability of the the machine itself you know governing whether these can continue to pump out power 24 7 but also their you know can they stay up you know do they have any outages do they have any network issues so that was kind of you know part of the reason we want to have you guys on the show today because uh, obviously you guys help maintain um some wind farms out in washington state so um i don't think most people as they drive out past these wind farms and as they gaze out into there i don't think they realize how much tech is behind them right like you see like i kind of mentioned the mechanical aspect uh you know they're super impressive and daunting as they get you know bigger and bigger but there's a lot of uh, tech and specifically like IT, IT demands placed on a wind site. So can you guys kind of kick us off and explain like how does IT connect with a wind site and, and what does the modern wind farm look like from a technology standpoint?
1: I, I think from a, from a basic standpoint, I mean, there's just a lot of infrastructure in place, right? You've got miles and miles of, whether it's cabling, infrastructure such as switching and other things like that so just in the sheer volume of, of components there's just a lot of pieces that, that are connected together over many many miles of, of infrastructure and, and each turbine has you know multiple switches and other components in there that all have to connect together and communicate and the, and, the, and the crazy thing is there's so many different systems so many different vendors involved so many different components but they all have to operate in sync seamlessly in order for uh, uh, in order for everything to operate and work I mean even if if there's power generation if there's nothing being communicated and that data is not read or communicated then you know these uh, it it doesn't do any good so it's it's critical it's key to the back-end system I mean you know if it's absolutely necessary to have quality uh, infrastructure communications systems uh, to be able to to operate these wind farms
2: and you know, I mean, and to touch on that, the every time I'm out of sight, I guarantee you I'm getting a drawing out to see how things are interconnected. Okay, we, we don't we lost communication to to this turbine to turbine number seven or whatnot. And uh then you're out pulling out the, the original drawing that was built by the engineer in the beginning to just figure out how which one of these fibers you have four thousand to choose from, which one connects to which point. And tracking it back there, so it's a—it's uh, really impressive how they're how they're built and how much infrastructure is in place. Um, they're like their own little cities.
0: Yeah. So, so Byron, uh, so I want to kind of make sure everyone can can hear who's talking. Because obviously, if you're if you're watching here on YouTube, you know, you'll, you'll be able to see uh, Byron and, and, and Daniel. Um, but Byron, for those who are listening and maybe can't see you, can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got uh, technologized started before I dive back into, um, you know, connecting IT with wind farms?
1: Yeah, you bet. You know, uh, IT has been part of my, I guess, part of my, my origin since uh, university days. I've been I uh, went through a lot of uh, technology training at that time, and throughout my my journey and career, I, eleven years ago, I ended up starting this business that focused on IT support for mid-sized businesses and small businesses. And for us, it was pretty simple at that time. But as we've grown and as we've matured as an organization, we got in much more involved with heavy regulated organizations, uh, you know, such as wind farms where there's a lot of not only complexity as far as infrastructure and systems and operations, but it's also highly regulated. And those are uh, those we found were great opportunities for us because not everybody can step into those things. I mean, there's a lot of I, Mm -hmm. you know, there's I, I should say there's a lot of folks that do IT, but not necessarily have the capacity to operate at that level and at that organization and so through the process how we got started is is just for us it's typical story word of mouth referral and we grew from there and then we got in you know it opened up doors with these relationships that we ended up having with these larger organizations or you know wind farms or we even do community banks and other things like that where we just built was it, we we were able to develop a rapport and one of the biggest things that was a big advantage for us is uh, you know, the feedback we got is that we were very approachable and we could communicate with the key players of the organization to help them understand a lot more of the why and, 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 the, and how help them develop the strategy and planning around a lot of challenges or issues that they have may, may have been plagued with for a long time. Uh, or, you know, we were able to help them achieve some objectives and, and major goals and vision that they had for their organization through our partnership and being able to work with them. So right now, you know, is, is, you know, we're super excited with all the involvement that we get. We love working with, with wind farms or other organizations. Uh, it just, it's exciting. It's fun. And, uh, you know, and, and that's, I think we you know are passionate about it and that's what makes it really really neat for us.
0: Yeah. So, uh, Dan, let me kick this to you. So as as the CTO for the company, um, you know, you're pretty heavily involved with uh, with with Winsight. So can you tell me a little bit about uh, and, and touch on what Byron just mentioned, which is that people often don't know what they need and wind farms are incredibly complex. So can you touch a little bit about your role within uh, getting IT properly into the hands of or not, not into the hands, but connected uh, on a wind site?
2: Yeah, you know, we're... It's true because, you know, they have a lot of there's a when you come to a wind farm, there is a ton of needs. There's a ton of networks. And anytime you have one network, you have needs. Uh, now you add in a dozen networks all in one and only two of them you actually ever touch on a daily basis. The needs are astronomical and, and you have very, very limited time to work when you're, you know, when you're the a wind operator, or the plant manager or however your organization is laid out. You don't have the time. You understand how turbines work. You understand um, how the mechanical side works completely. And you probably have some understanding of how the technical side works, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of the age old, it's probably better off to spend your time optimizing your turbines or doing whatever maintenance needs to be done than it is for you to be figuring out how to reset passwords and how to set up systems so they don't fail. And uh, that's where that's where really we we come in. We're going to come in and we look at the big picture. How do we get from what you have today to what we need to have tomorrow, and what we're going to need to have next week and next year and five years from now? And we we try to make a plan and we build a plan that we can build on together as a partner. And just like we we and in fully invest ourselves in that site, and we want to fully kind of realize the potential of that site wherever we can. So if you need help with automation, if you need help with networking, if you need help with server side um, applications, things of that nature, we're, we're definitely going to come in. We're going to look at everything from start to finish and have a kind of a holistic picture of the entire farm.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, it's not a set it and forget it s- situation, right? You put in infrastructure mm-hmm. and systems, and for as much as we would like it to be kind of a just set it up one time and then not have to worry about it, it's not that way, you know, and we want to make sure that, it, again, it's optimized, uh, it's automated, as well as that, you know, we're not going to have any surprise uh, downtime or outages or or perf- impact of, of the organization. So, uh, you know, there's a lot that we invest into it, but that, you know, we work with our partners or the farms to work together on, on their objectives and what's important to them help them accomplish their goals
0: yeah so obviously you guys are going to support you know all the employees and and help people manage their 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 laptops and their software and their connectedness their networks all that stuff but also obviously the big thing is they're monitoring these machines more than ever by you know it's just like with a car right like in high school i had a, a 67 bronco my brother worked on an old mustang and we could do like pretty much anything on those old cars, right? Today, it's a huge chore to even change my oil, right? So obviously technology on wind farms has changed as well, but it's pretty much catastrophic now if like there was a major outage, right? Like thousands and thousands of dollars will be lost if they can't get back online quickly, or they can't monitor, or they're just not sure what's going on. So can you talk a little bit about some of those, I think uh, big fears that wind site operators have where they're like, We can't have this go down. Just like a you know an e-commerce website. You can't have your sneaker store go down for a day because you lost thirty grand in revenue, right?
2: With power prices down, uh now you're the revenue is much more important. And as you are as you're generating and you want to make sure you capitalize on that and and one penalty for missing a dispatch or missing a limit could wipe out all the revenue you made for this month. And that's that would be crazy. That's a horrible thing to do. I mean, one hour of missing a dispatch and and overproducing could actually cost you more than you could make in the entire month before. So I think it's it's more critical than ever to have proper reporting and proper uh, visibility into those systems.
1: Yeah, it is a lot about penalty avoidance, you know, and and how, how systems are managed and how things are controlled. And that's why you know some of these elements, even just the dispatching piece is so critical, whether it's manual or automated, is because if, if, if they do get off track, then the penalties can be pretty harsh pretty quickly. Uh, you know, It only takes, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of uh, not reporting accurately that can penalties start coming.
0: Yeah. So for those who maybe aren't familiar with the grid, the, the grid dispatch system, can you guys just give a quick overview of, you know, what is it? How does it work? And and where do those penalties come from? And who enforces those penalties?
2: Yeah. So you're uh, the, the balancing authority you work with is the one who really generates your dispatch. So depending on who it is, uh, they'll they have each, you know, and that's the one thing that's interesting about wind farms is they're all the same, but they're all so different, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. And the see so whatever balancing authority you're with, they're the ones who send the dispatch and they say, "Hey, produce 100 megawatts." So you set your system to to generate 100 megawatts and send it, feed it back into the grid, and then they'll. You know, every, every, it can be every hour. It can be every five minutes and that's where the automation component comes in. But a new dispatch can come down and say, you know what, you're good. Ramp up the full power. Uh, we need it. We need to set it to California. They, you know, so they don't have a brown out or whatnot, but uh, you'll get, you'll get different dispatches throughout the day. You know, you'll have, you can have them. I've seen them as often as every 30 seconds. It just depends on, on the system and, and really the power needs of the grid at the time, the the weird part is is some dispatches come in differently some are going to be forced manually they come in via you know especially when you're set to zero meaning you've been limited to zero megawatts or zero generation at all those usually come in manually via some other method an email and it's about correlating how that is and then they'll come back you know an hour two hours three hours later and they'll say you know what this has been lifted you can go back to your regularly scheduled dispatch schedule which would be back to the, the automated system every, you know, 30 minutes, it'll update or whatnot.
1: Yeah. So the challenge is too, is, is that operates 24 seven. So that dispatch and scheduling and at any point, and oftentimes, you know, when there is an issue, it's going to happen in the middle of the night in the a.m. hours, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Most everybody's sleeping. And so that's where it's kind of like, yeah, you can have manual systems and they they can catch it sometimes. Uh, and, they, and they often do. But if it's not automated, then there's a lapse, a potential lapse. And who knows how long that lapse is before the, you know, the, the generation is corrected or the dispatch scheduling is corrected.
0: And so is that something you guys can do? can put in place like you guys help companies figure out how to monitor those better or to set up an alert system to set up a way to like write itself I mean how do you solve that problem
1: well that is something that we are work that that we have worked on and have some systems in place but it continues to evolve and develop and mature I mean it's not there, there's definitely not perfect because again there's only so many things that are in our control and what we can do is and it, there's only so many things in the control of the farm as well because they have to work with the reporting authority or with the authority that they're dealing with on that uh, and there is plenty I mean what's neat about it is Dan and I have had several conversations is you know there's there's a lot of opportunity to do more and mm-hmm. to improve and and we're continuing to work with the farms that we deal with to to improve those circumstances and situations
2: you, yeah and that's really the the there's so many opportunities we have uh, you know with machine learning models and things of that nature. We can do a lot more than we used to be able to do. So every day it's a constant evolution. And there's, it's it's almost like 10 years ago, we were in the alpha stages of the automation of that. And maybe five years ago, we moved into kind of a beta stage of, and I mean technology as a whole for that kind of automation. Uh, we moved into kind of a beta stage and uh, that was kind of a testing phase. How is this gonna work? And really today, I feel like we're about there where a lot of these things are going to be able to be automated. And, and I'm sure depending on the balancing the balancing authority and the scheduler, there might already be some farms that have it fully automated and fully together. And that's that's really the end goal is how can we limit, while we still need to inspect it, we still need a human to make sure that our schedules are set right because we want to make sure that things are working properly and optimally. But how can we how can we limit the amount of touch points that we have to which really eliminates some cost for the site and also helps with that penalty avoidance if if the system is working and functioning proper functioning properly we're able to really generate the most profit for the customer at the end of the day and that's really what our you know our goal is as a partner in that we want to do whatever we can to help the business be more successful
1: I think ultimately one of the one of the challenges, too, Dan, based, you know, based on kind of our current conversation and and what we've talked about before, is the evolu- the constant change in technology, right? So from one farm mm-hmm. to the next, and it could be a matter of even just one, you know, twelve months, twenty four months, the technology changes significantly, you know, not only on the, uh, you know, the, the the technology of the generation, the power generation, but also the technology in the how the IT infrastructure. Supports that generation and supports those systems. You know, it's, you know, everybody knows software is changing and evolving and updating all the time. Well, I mean, uh, there's a lot of in older farms. There's a lot of software that it's the same as it was in day one. And then you have to continue to support it through advancements of other technology. And so now we have legacy systems, software and so forth that we have to continue to support or manage and maintain while at the same time, look at ways to improve automation or, or alerting or other things to make sure that, uh, the, the impact to their organization, to the systems is, is non-existent or minimal.
0: Yeah. So one thing you, you mentioned earlier that I want to touch on. So it's funny. I was listening to a podcast, uh, recently, uh, called how I built this. It's one of my favorites. Do you guys ever listen to that one? It's pretty it's pretty good it's with guy raz it's an npr podcast uh, but they talk about you know lots of popular businesses how they got started and it's kind of like their founder story and a lot of their challenges and it's it's real it's real in-depth and interesting but so one of them recently that i was listening to uh was about an app for doctor's offices you know just to, so and obviously is a very modern thing like you have that's for everything now right but this guy was going around him and his business partner trying to connect doctors offices say hey you want your scheduling to be on our app so now people can just have their phone and they can look through a list of doctors in the area and they can book directly into your clinic like this is a great service like and so as they started to get traction one of the problems that they came up with which is kind of what you guys were alluding to earlier uh, is that they couldn't even integrate their calendar with some of the antiquated systems that the doctors use, like some of the doctors just had like post-it notes, you know, like, oh, I'm out of the office all day, right on the computer. It's like you can't integrate software with a post-it note, right? So I feel like that is one of the big probably challenges with a lot of these sites where when you guys go in there, is it is it the case where a lot of times you're like, oh, man, this is re- they've really waited a long time to, to upgrade and I'm sure it's really challenging to even figure out where to start to integrate some software that just might almost be obsolete. I mean, is that a big challenge?
1: That's a, it's a significant challenge. I mean, it's a challenge in I think in most industries where, you know, you have your your mainstream, bleeding edge, you know, or billion dollar software companies that are just advancing and moving forward like nothing else. But if you, anytime you narrow down into a specific industry, whether whether it's wind farms or even the, you know, the medical that you mentioned at that point, I mean, they are several years behind, you know, because the cost and time and money and development to, to advance that technology forward is significant. And yeah. so our challenge as a provider and working with our clients is how to, how, you know, how to work with those antiquated systems with modern day expectations, right? <laughs> Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, everybody you talk to, I want that app. I want that app for my home automation. I want that app for my business automation. I want it for everything, right? I don't want to have to, I'm, you know, for convenience, I'm lazy, whatever it is, or uh, a quick response. I'm, you know, I want that available at my fingertips, but the challenge in reality is, is that the individual industries don't keep up and how do we manage the expectations with the technology And then bridging the gap between the tech, you know, the technology that has advanced and the technology that is still several years behind.
2: And that's, that's one area. The, the bridging the gap is the, the important section there is that, uh, you know, a wind site or any, any SCADA system really is going to be designed for maximum reliability. It's not designed. I mean, they are designed to be secure, but there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, planning that goes into securing the entire system at the edge so that people can't get into it. But once you get into it, it can be a little bit more open and a free-for-all. But they, so they don't design these softwares to really be upgraded all the time, Uh, you know? And so they, they, you're stuck with them for maybe 10, 15 years whereas a normal ERP or CRM's lifespan is, you know, maybe four or five years in a business. Some businesses push it longer but it's really how do you bridge the gap because you can't go change what GE does you aren't big enough to put enough pressure on GE to make the change or you can't put enough pressure on Siemens Gamesa to make yeah. their software change you can put a little pressure maybe on your site rep or your local guy but it's not going to it's not going to make a full system upgrade but it's yeah it's
1: not going to influence it and oftentimes they've moved on you know they 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 may have had advancements with software but it's not the software you're running it's yeah, not the systems up- you're running. It's their next generation yeah. system. And so now you're stuck with, uh, you know, Siemens or whatever systems and products that you have that, that you know, they built out 10 years ago. But what they have now is is not an advancement of, of what you've got. It's new. So
2: and, you're, yeah. you're building a, there's a lot of integrations you have to build. And whether that's custom code, whether that's you have to manipulate the data as it comes and change it from a format that you can understand. And that's really where a lot of the work in in kind of moving people, moving these businesses forward, comes into play.
0: And how does the uh, like the the age of the wind site come into play? Because if you know this has been around for 14 years, you know is the shelf life you know with six years to go on a lot of turbines is that going to influence what they're willing to do, or if it's you know only a couple of years old? I mean, I, I guess part of my question here is: Do you guys get a lot of business from brand new sites, or are companies really in? an IT need later on in the lifetime? Like, where does it seem to to fall where they start to really need to either upgrade or change things?
1: I think when it comes to the farms, it typically is when they're having issues, right? Uh-huh. And, and oftentimes they're issues that they've been dealing with for some time, right? Or they're trying to accomplish something and they've been tr- struggling with it, an objective that they have been unable to attain and... So via word of mouth or hey we've got these guys that have been able to help us, uh, you know is typically how we get involved and where we step in. I you wish gotcha.
2: it was I wish it was in there when they were new. I wish that it was a little bit so more nice. proactive, but yeah. but
1: you know it's a lot of times it's not proactive. It's just when there's there's pain associated with it. And, uh, you know, or something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, so we've had a couple, uh, recent guests on the show talking about how they, uh, you know, their software and and their consulting and their solutions will help, you know, improve optimization of wind turbines and upgrade a lot of software. And they do a lot of modeling and, and all sorts of different techniques to upgrade, you know, these sites because they're, everyone's fighting that slow loss of power over the years. Right. Is that a fundamentally different thing or is that. Kind of what you said, addressing that pain point.
2: Uh, it's it's because we're adding a new system at that point. Uh, you know, it, mm-hmm. it all depends on how the farm's laid out, how their sites are, how their security is in terms of their cybersecurity. Um, if we can really accomplish that easily, I mean, it's always accomplishable. It's just a matter of how you do it, and it really it really depends on each site and how they how they're set up and what kind of integrations they already have with their vendor. Uh, you know, there's there's some sites that have. A little bit more integration capability. There's some sites where they don't have any at all, so it's really dependent on each situation. Um, but some of those those analytics and things like that are, quite frankly, it's amazing. I wish I wish I would have came up with the idea because it's it's pretty cool when you read it and uh, as you're as you're reading through the documents. I mean, just the smallest one degree tweak can yeah. maybe extend that or change that you know that leading edge erosion and maybe give you two or three years of blade life out of that, or uh, you know, the things that we wouldn't notice even from the IT side, and we see and we can see the data. I can see all of the data as it's coming in. Um, I wouldn't notice that that the gear oil is just a little bit too warm, or that uh, you know, because it's within bounds, but it may not be yeah. optimized. So, yeah,
1: the challenge for us, the challenge for us on that. Standpoint is that we're, you know, typically, you know, that's a layer coming in on top of already existing infrastructure systems, so software or other elements that are plugging into the data that they have got. So we work with the farms and those third-party analytical uh, systems to help make sure to 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 connect them together, right, so that they can feed that information into their systems and have that that data and information to be able to see and and be able to make those fine-tune adjustments to get better longevity out of their their generation.
0: Let's talk a little bit more about that power generation aspect of it. So has this changed significantly over the last couple of years? I mean, is analytics changing like fundamentally the way power generation works? I mean, where uh, where does the software side, like what have you guys found either interesting or troubling or just, like you said, uh, Dan, you're like, it's a super innovative thing. All like we can control, you know, we've analytics on literally everything. Like I'm a big baseball guy, the amount of analysis we can do on, you know, little kids throwing a ball across the diamond is crazy. But, um, you know, tell me a little bit about power generation and how that's all changed.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, I th- I don't know if, if the analytics has changed the power generation component. I think it's really helped with the longevity of the turbines, you know, things of if you can get just, I mean, as as we said earlier, power power costs are or wholesale power prices are pretty low right now. Um, so if you can eke out an extra megawatt um, each month just by just by kind of adjusting a blade a degree, or or you maybe you you don't have that big crane bill because you had to have a crane crew come out and swap something out because you were able mm-hmm. to proactively doing it. It's like a lot of it's it's almost like changing. It's like swapping from, I don't know, conventional oil to synthetic oil in your car. It's, it's just a matter of doing things proactively to help extend the life of that turbine. You know, you you spend a million dollars each turbine you want to, you want to try to make $2 million or $3 million off each turbine before they go end of life or before you have to do a massive, uh, you know, kind of upgrade to them. And, and, you know, it's really expensive to have a crane crew come out because we're at wind sites. Um, And as Mm -hmm. every wind tech, wind operator knows the, the wind blows at wind sites and crane guys don't like to be, uh, they aren't up there in the wind. So they usually sit out there and it's a hurry up and wait kind of deal where they sit there and they wait in the cab of the crane until the wind stops blowing enough for them to go up tower and, uh, and swap out a generator or, you know, if they have to take a blade down or whatever has to happen. Um, and that can be, they may be up there for two, three, four days and you're paying that crane crew the whole time. So if you can avoid that huge cost of swapping out that generator or, or doing some other crazy maintenance just by adjusting um, kind of the pitch or adjusting something else in the turbine, it's, it's probably a worthy endeavor. And you may not ever be able to fully realize how you can – or quantify really the total cost or the total benefit. But I think not having those astronomical bills by doing some proactive work is huge.
0: So one – question that I have for you guys, which I feel like it's tough for people to know when the cost and uh, when the cost benefit is in their favor. So I'm sure there's lots of, lots of sites are like, you know what, we probably should upgrade, like our system's getting pretty old. We could use one of these, uh, you know, sleeker systems that have more automation, whatever it is. But if you guys go in and you're saying, hey, this is so outdated that it's going to be, really, really time consuming and expensive to upgrade, like where, do, where does it fall for a wind site and, and where would you guys maybe advise someone like, look, this might not be worth it. It's going to be so much work and so much, uh, so, such a huge expense that given, you know, your L and just the economics of this and the scale of this, that it just might not make sense to come into the 21st century as far as as tech. I mean, is that a conversation that is ever had?
1: Those conversations happen all the time. And there's a, I mean, it's just it's like nonstop. <laughs> I mean, it's everything. Right. So yeah. so there's multiple there's let, let, me, let me split this out in multiple uh, components for you, because really there's a couple aspects. One is you got the basic uh, basic high if hygiene or systems right that that you just typical life cycle uh you know there's all the computers it switches routers there's limited lifespan on all of those things and so there's the basic conversation around okay what you know we don't want to wait too long because then they just start dying off right so we have to plan forecast simple life cycling of of equipment And so there's that, that, that component, but, and that also comes into play with operating systems. You know, last year we had the massive uh, push to uh, replace windows seven computers or, uh, you know, or servers as well that, that were end of life. And, uh, you know, so there was a big push last year for everybody swapping those things out. And so there's that kind of fundamental element that we have to talk to, uh, clients about and there's that's a challenge all the time anyway just that basic stuff because I mean what's the first first thing they think man I just got that a couple years ago you know and and when you're talking about these this equipment that needs to be replaced every four maybe five years depending on what it is I mean that's a massive capital expenditure it's a you know budgetary item so there's planning force but that stuff is kind of the that's kind of the base level right but after that you have kind of that you have the additional higher level conversation of what uh, you know what can we do to improve the situ improve efficiencies what can we do to help push the vision of the organization forward and then how do we um, you know how do we overcome the obstacles of running old software on brand new hardware for example or how do we run this? these old systems on brand? So there's a lot of compatibility issues and other challenges that are constantly being overcome. But as far as 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 people uh, wanting to do those things, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's like, do I want to go to the dentist? Not really, you know, mm-hmm. not yeah. all the time. But I do know that if I don't go, you know, if I don't take care of myself, then it's going to get worse later on. And so there is a lot of, hesitation sometimes uh, but I think through experience most uh, you know m- most uh, people realize that you know if if I don't do it now it's just going to get worse and I'm, I'm just going to handle it face it plan for it and so it, it's just bringing that stuff and, and what's a challenge off the time is they don't know what they don't know right and yeah and so for us it's communicating hey just so you're aware, FYI, keep this in mind and communicating, keeping those making them aware, keeping it in front of them so that they can make those good decisions and versus, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. And then it slaps them in the face and they have an issue or something happens or they have a surprise expenditure that's significant. You know, those are all things we try to avoid.
2: Well, it's about structure. How do you structure that conversation so that so that the the plant operator, the site manager, whomever you're discussing it with, understands the risk and the reward and and there can be large costs involved in some of those upgrades. Um but how do we what's the risk of, you know, of downtime? If you can't get to your if you can't get to your data, if you can't report, if you can't do your reporting for a week or two weeks and and these sites are remote typically. They're not just down the street. Yeah. You can't just jump in the car. Uh you know, they're I think the closest entry to a wind site around here is probably I don't know an hour that's maybe the closest entry point to one of them um so you know that's not too far but they're pretty remote they aren't going to be they can't just run down the street and grab a new server and and plug it in and be off to the races it's going to take time so how do you avoid and I guess it goes back almost to that penalty avoidance a little bit but it's about structuring that conversation as to well we need to we we need to upgrade and why do we need to upgrade well we have a lot of risk you know if if one of our users gets ransomware on an unsupported computer, or, or gets some other type of malware from running an old Windows Seven computer, it's not supported. Not getting Microsoft updates, not getting other updates, it's not secure. You know, there's there's a lot of risk that comes into it. And with with uh, banks and with wind farms and and really regulated industries, uh, there's almost pressure that comes from the government side where they kind of have to upgrade. And you know that does work. Both in our favor and against us occasionally, but uh, you know it's about structure. It's about it's about laying it out there for them in a way they understand it. Because they get on Google, they see a, an article from a, a source online or whatever that comes in and says, uh, "Well, upgrade your systems now because it's not secure." And they just can't they can kind of brush it off because they don't trust yeah. where that data comes from. Whereas if a partner comes in, and, and that's what we always try to be. Uh, if a partner comes in and lays it out there for them and gives it to them straight, uh, they're more apt to make a decision based on uh, you know that good information and that trustworthy source than they are from reading an article on TechNet or something.
0: Yeah, that strikes me as a good application for, um, so one of my favorite books is called Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. She's a former uh, poker player, right? Maybe she's still a professional poker player, but her book talks about structuring decisions Based on like percentages so like I play a little poker casually and like you know it you know given a certain hand in a certain situation you're like okay well if I have this this you know this hand and there's two other people in if I make X bet I might get you know everyone to fold 20% of the time no one folds 40% of the time and you know other result some percentage of the time but when I when I was listening to you guys talk about yeah you know these systems get towards their end of their life and you don't want to go to the very end of life because like you said Byron they start to just die off right you you know your car gets super old it starts to break down more often and so you could say okay well our Windows 7 system is now five years old they recommend it be upgraded five years so now is it like we have a 60% chance of having consistent breakdowns whereas four years ago we had a 10% chance of having consistent breakdowns is there like a it feels like upgrading stuff that's not necessarily broken today is probably a hard sell because we're like well my computer's working today we haven't been hacked today like how why why would i upgrade now if i'm not going to get hacked for sure tomorrow so is it like that that balance where the percentage that something bad happens is significantly like, is that a way to, to frame that? Because like I said, it seems like it can kind of be by feel like it, you should do this now because it is more likely to happen. But can you put a number on any of that kind of stuff? There's a lot of research and
1: statistics and information that does show the, uh, you know, the, the increased risk or the increased probability of equipment failure after a certain time. So there is statistics that uh, that is out there that we do use at times that show the uh, you know, the, the probability of equipment and things failing and, you know, and it's often not just one appliance or one device that, that fails, but it seems to be a cascading effect often yeah. too, where one system starts going and then, and then closely the other and then closely the the next. And so that's kind of the, the thing that we try to avoid too. And in, in what we communicate is that, that, you know, look, you know, we it's that we're not talking about that one thing that, oh, that one thing might fail. It's just it usually seems to come in batches and yeah. and then it becomes a bigger issue it balloons and it's you know problematic and we we try to avoid that you know it, and you know when people think of IT in general often they might think of somebody you know again touching the keyboard or opening up a computer or doing some sort of you know technical guru or Hanging technical mumbo basement. yeah technical mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. stuff but but the reality of what we do oftentimes is it's a lot of communication it's a lot of education it's a lot of providing information, information to uh, those that need to be able to make good decisions. And because without the right information or good information, then they, they're winging it. It's like you said, it's kind of how their gut feels, you know, it's what makes, how do they feel? Well, it's running now, it's running today. It's only three Mm years, four or five years old. It should, let's get another, get a couple of years out of it, you know? And, and so us being able to communicate with them and, and provide that, that information from anywhere low level tech to high level tech and make it make sense to them, then I, you know, that's empowering to them. Then they can drive good decisions. And that's really, uh, you know, what, um, you know, what we try to achieve. Well,
2: the other part is, is making the right, like you said, the good decision, the right decision, because as a partner in this, it's about what is going to fulfill the farm's needs, or the needs of the of the biz, the end user. Anyway, uh, it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, you know, you can. I've walked into a business before. Um, they had just spent three hundred thousand dollars on a new piece of hardware. They could have spent. Uh, I'm dead serious thirty thousand dollars on a piece of hardware that would have been more than adequate for their needs
0: uh, you didn't tell them that did you <laughs> I think I did, did they throw, throw a chair threw a chair at you they we weren't thrilled but uh you know I the the reality is is
2: that it's about specking out the right solution as well because mm-hmm. just because the vendor that you're working with HP Dell whoever for if it's you know you're talking hardware or Cisco if we're talking switching or you know, who whoever, there's industrial switching as well, they'll sell you more than you need every time. They're yes. really good mm-hmm. at it. Uh, but that's not always what you need. You sure it would be amazing to have an all-flash five thousand terabyte uh, you know, drive array. Your performance will be great, but you could do the same thing for half for a quarter of the cost. And that's that's where it comes into play as is, is we're I don't want to say an intermediary, but we we always operate as an extension of the business. Mm-hmm. It's, it's making the right decision. I would rather that extra $100,000 go to another capital project, which will improve another part of the farm versus yeah. spending it, overspending on hardware here that you're really not ever going to realize its its potential.
1: Yeah, you know, we see that frequently, unfortunately, where, you know... A, an organization is working with a variety of different vendors right? and uh, this vendor for this, this vendor for that. And they do, it's just systems get implemented all over the place and not that those systems are bad, but trying to tie them all together or, or making the right call on what's where the best make that expenditure is, is can be all over the place sometimes. And it makes a real mess. Because oftentimes some of these vendors or systems even conflict quite a bit. And then you're fighting, you know, then, then they're, they're fighting each other as far as, uh, you know, being able to operate or obstacles that are in place. And that just becomes really frustrating and, and challenging.
0: Yeah. And that's a really good point because like with technology, like for those of you watching on YouTube, like this is a good 4K camera. You guys have actually the same camera. You could buy an 8K camera for five grand, right? You could buy But youtube compresses the video anyway where when you like really do your research it's like well an 8k camera is almost the same thing as a 4k camera which is almost the same thing as a 1080 camera when you compress it and send it through the web and you know it gets to someone's tiny little smartphone screen right so i think that makes sense where someone like you can tell someone like yeah this is a top of the line product but you just don't need it like it's just not it's going to be overkill for your application
1: yeah it's about fitting the Fitting the, the solution to the need, right? And because we mm-hmm. we we do not band aid, we do not duct tape, and and you know we're we avoid that at all costs. We want the right solution, but the right solution often isn't the most expensive solution. It's definitely not the most cheapest solution most of the time. But it's it's making the right fit, and that's where you know having a firm understanding of the need of the organization, their objective, as well as the technology. And bringing that together.
0: And how do you balance that with, so like, obviously like a good challenge. So like I have a I'm, I'm Windows and Mac user, um, but you know-
1: Does that even exist? A Windows and a Mac user? I mean, come on.
0: We'll have to talk about this on camera, why I have both, but um, it's it's because of Apple's uh, just asinine policies with soldering in their boards and all this stuff. But anyway, um, so, but they released a new computer, right? In the fall, the new chips, really exciting everyone's like i want this this is amazing but if i wait 6 months they're going to ha- definitely have another version of this right so like how do you when you when you approach a company if they're like hey we're at year 4 and we know we need to upgrade at year 5 what should we upgrade to is that a really tough conversation to have where it's like hey w- Technology is changing so fast, like every two years, there's like a new solution that's way better. It's almost worth waiting for. Sometimes how do you balance telling companies to wait versus like, yeah, let's do this now, even though maybe in the back of your mind, you're like, there might be something great coming out. We don't know what's coming out. But I I feel like that's a really tough challenge with tech is like, when do you actually upgrade?
2: You know, I think uh, when it comes to tech and, you know, if we're talking specifically about a a win site or something like that, we aren't going to go cutting edge. Uh, there's there's uh, too much risk in going cutting edge
0: being like a beta like a beta tester almost be a beta
2: tester for something that needs 100% mm-hmm. uptime you know you yeah. you go with no and i'm not saying we go with technology that's old but we go with uh, what's been tested in the field we know that um, we have an awesome opportunity because we work with all types of businesses uh you know a, a three man dental office they can be a beta tester. I mean, worse, you know, just not true. That's not true. They're not going to be a beta tester, but they they effectively can operate as a beta tester for us for some solutions. If it's in terms of a hardware solution, um, you know, and so when you get to a Winsight level, though, you're not you're not as worried. Performance isn't as huge of a deal, and and pretty much all technology changes is all about increasing performance. Now, there's software that is you know cutting edge and, and that you might use but software is a lot easier to change if you just implemented it and it's not working for your needs than hardware you go spend two hundred fifty thousand, three hundred thousand dollars on hardware and your board or whoever the ownership or whoever you have to answer to is not going to let you go well you know what i know that you bought that last year let's replace it though because it's not working right so you mm-hmm. you you really do have to plan the solution. You have to look at what your needs are going to be and, and project for five years. Project for maybe even seven years.
1: So I think the challenge that we see a lot is a lot of mismatch between hardware and the actual application implementation configuration of the the, the of the hardware or software systems that have been deployed and installed. I mean, it, just recently we did a systems assessment for for an organization that you know had five months ago uh, you know put in all new equipment new servers and they're like man we're just not seeing the performance we're not seeing our you know our expectations where we were going to have this we're not seeing it and we're concerned and so we went and took a look at it did a you know did a a, a kind of a, a basic assessment and right off the bat you know it was clear that they had great hardware fantastic hardware new hardware but whoever did the implementation and deployment (laughs) really didn't know as well. I mean, what they did wasn't bad, but it did not take advantage of the of the hardware as far as the ability to to maximize the performance and efficiencies of the systems that they had. Did it still work? Yeah, it worked, but not. I mean, basically, they paid a lot of extra money for things that they couldn't even leverage and and use at this point because of how because of how it was set up.
0: So the last thing I want to cover today is cybersecurity. So obviously, like the big SolarWinds hack made a ton of news uh, you know, the tail end of 2020. And we, we've chatted about that a little bit off off camera here. Uh, so cybersecurity is a really scary thing. And I think this also falls in that same bucket. I mean, I feel this personally, um, you know, I haven't been hacked yet. I feel like I'm OK, but I also don't know what I'm doing. And I think for a lot of companies, they probably just are essentially like leaving their back and front door open. And just like assuming that no one will walk in. I mean, tell me about cybersecurity on a, a wind site.
1: Well, Dan mentioned it a little bit earlier where historically the focus was secure the edge, secure the perimeter. You know, you got a good firewall, you get antivirus and you're you're set, right? And that's kind of what, you know, Look, five years ago or some, uh, you know, looking at that, you know, that was adequate at the time. But what's happened now is, you know, there's a lot of systems that are breached and these cybersecurity folks, uh, cybersecurity bad actors, they, they move laterally significant within organizations and systems. So Dan mentioned that, yeah, they have great firewalls and great edge perimeter security, but pretty light on the inside. Well, these bad actors, they know that. All they have to do is get a, like a, a, you know, a toe, a finger, in, uh, you know, a foot in there a foothold and then from there you know they have all the time in the world oftentimes and before they're detected and so they just take their sweet time and move laterally within the organization so and that can start anywhere from a phishing email that somebody gets to malware from a, a from a phone that somebody brings internally you know there's a lot of ways where they can get in and then they just start moving from there but it's the you brought up the solar winds Breach, which happened in December, which was, uh, I would say, it it shook the foundation of the cybersecurity world because of the massive nature of the breach and because how it occurred. You know, SolarWinds is a major IT monitoring and alerting tool, management tool that is used globally for organizations that are you know federal organizations, state organizations, and a lot of private organizations just to. That's how they watch and monitor the manage their systems, their infrastructure, their, their servers and equipment and, uh, SolarWinds was breached. And then from that, that standpoint, once SolarWinds was breached, the bad actors embedded malware into the SolarWinds software updates. So me as a, as an IT support person, I, that's one of my trusted tools you know, we don't use it, but just in, in that particular, you know, there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of IT or organizations, that's the trusted tool. And so they ran and pushed out these updates. And if I'm that IT, that company, and I'm the IT, I'm downloading the updates and pushing it out in all my systems. And that essentially was a backdoor for the bad actors to then gain access to, it was somewhere, you know, I, 128. We, Big we organizations, know. yeah, we we have we no. We'll ig- never know I mean, it's,
2: the truth of, of what they is.
1: So they know at least was it eighteen thousand organizations downloaded the compromised updates, and uh, of those eighteen thousand, they have no clue at this point. I mean, it just the numbers. Every day, almost, we're hearing of another, you know, announcement where an organization is affirming or recognizing that they have been breached by this this hack. So, I you know, for farms, it's Biggest challenge is, or one of the biggest challenges again, is now we have to look at increased security, not only from the perimeter standpoint, but every aspect, every piece of the infrastructure, every piece of the IT, every anything that any device that's connected. We have to look at the cyber piece and well, how it's protected.
2: I think when it comes to uh, wind farms, wind sites, if really any big organization like that. Uh, it shows that you can't just set it and forget it. You can't just mm-hmm. put a firewall in place and walk away and, and be a hunky dory You do have to constantly monitor, constantly evolve. Uh, five years ago, an attack like the SolarWinds thing probably couldn't have happened. Uh, you know, as as things change in the way that you're, and especially with people being more connected to the internet than ever before, as as you go from you know the way it was several years ago, we may have had cloud-based email and maybe you were browsing a website occasionally but now everything you do every vendor you talk to everything you do touches the internet whether it's on your personal phone your work computer your work phone it's all touching the internet you know here's
1: a you know people a lot of people say you know why you know i'm just this one farm or i'm just this one organization i'm small i'm an insignificant i'm nobody right like what uh, dan said I mean, we did it this week where we had a presentation with a um, you know w- w- with a another assessment utility or company. yeah another utility company that we did an audit on and we just pulled up their logs and just said hey look here's all the uh, countries or the areas that that are tapping at your front door they're knocking on the door they're there and they' it's just amazing to see their eyes just go Whoa. oh yeah yeah they are you know and you know the 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 other statistic that is scary that people don't realize is, I mean, there's kind of a myth that, you know, if I get hacked, I'm going to know about it. You know, it's going to, or I'm going to know about it right away, or I'm going to get something's going to happen. But what people don't realize is the average time a bad actor is in a network before they even notice it is six months, is six months. And the solar winds breach that happened, it took them over a year to figure it out. And the only reason they figured it out is because this cybersecurity firm FireEye got breached and they like, whoa, hey, you know, how did we get breached? And they did their investigation and then they determined, oh, they figured it out that it was SolarWinds, Orion, that software that had been breached and through the supply chain, FireEye then became vulnerable and breached.
2: And, and the Department of Justice.
1: And Department of Justice, <laughs> Department of Homeland Security, and Microsoft. then just, I mean, then just I mean, Microsoft, a, uh, mm-hmm. VMware. I mean, you go through the list, but not Apple, Cisco, I Intel, uh, I mean, all those were breached, you know? And so it's a, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a scary world a little bit, you know? And, and what I am telling individuals, organizations, companies is it basically at this point, you need to plan to be breached because you will be. You will, How big, how small, I don't know. But you need to plan on it. So, what do we do now to mitigate the risk, and then have a good plan in place for when something does happen? Because it will happen. There's no question. Uh, Just this—I mean, even between just Washington State, for example, I was looking at this yesterday. The the reported breaches for Washington State went from three hundred thousand to over six hundred thousand in one year, and these are just the reported breaches. I'm hearing of local breaches in our area, our region every week, every week. I mean, my neighbor across the street just, yeah, I found out last week, you know, a a firm that, you know, they were down for several days, you know, and anyway, so this, so there is a critical element to, and for me, you know, it's not an overnight fix, right? We can't just say, Hey, let's implement these tools because a lot of cybersecurity really isn't just tools. It's planning, it's strategy, it's conversation, it's culture, it's uh, you know a lot of administrative stuff too. Where you know make sure we have policies and procedures in place. So there's there's a lot to it. I think the challenge right now for farms or or any organization is really talking about it and knowing what to talk about and putting the time against it because quite frankly, I mean who wants to hey i'm really excited to go talk about and do cybersecurity stuff you know if i'm an owner or executive or director i'm busy mm-hmm. i got lots of things to do but unfortunately just the state of things now is it's bubbling up the cybersecurity is bubbling up quite a bit and the priority and critical impact and nature of that is making it much much more of a priority in 2021 we're gonna see continue, continued changes uh, from the attack side and how it's gonna impact business. And it's gonna be be a lot more front of mind for a lot of people.
2: I think an important piece too is you can't just buy a tool and expect it to fix your, the problem. That's the big, that's a big takeaway. A lot of vendors, a lot of a lot of companies even, they think, okay, I'll spend X number of dollars and that will fix my problem. And
0: the spam blocker 5,000 won't do it. What about the spam blocker 6,000?
2: That might, you know, uh. 7,500 I hear is is, is top notch. Uh, but, you know, you can't just buy a tool and expect it to to work, to fix your problem. You need to, it's kind of a whole, there's, there's a suite of tools, there's a layered, you know, I like to think of it like an onion. Each layer uh, protects, you know, protects another layer. Uh, the... There's a layer you you layer tools in, but you also know how to use them and understand what they're doing and, and how they work. And it it goes back to the other the other problem. The most expensive tool may not be the best tool for you. It's about coming mm-hmm. up with a with an approach that can, you know, a layered approach that can really help your cybersecurity hygiene. Like you said, there's open doors everywhere. And uh, you know. And to the point about a lot of businesses thinking, well, I'm small potatoes, they're not going to come after me. Well, yeah, probably people aren't probably going to target you directly. But yeah. if they come across you, there, is, there are scanners on the internet. You know, If you can go to shodan.io or, or wherever, look up wind farms that are actually on the internet, SCADA systems that are actually exposed to the internet. You can do a Google search and find IP addresses for wind farms and for SCADA systems and things like that um you know and that's what people are doing that and people are bored in other countries they're thinking ways they can extort or they're just trying to see what they can do so just because you're small potatoes you're not ge you're not microsoft you don't have billions of dollars to pay a ransom notice they 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 don't care they're they're just scanning and casting a wide net and whatever they catch Mm -hmm. well it's a they keep
1: yeah it's a numbers game you know they get so many companies if uh, if we're talking specific ran- specifically ransomware it's a numbers game if they get so many organizations or businesses to pay ransom you know it adds up fast i mean it's a billion dollar industry right now ransomware i mean these guys make a ton of money and you know and a lot of the biggest producers of ransomware are nation sponsored you got russia north korea uh, and some other uh, you know countries where it's very organized and they're very good. I mean, heck, I don't even have to, you know, I don't even have to really, I mean, I could go, uh, get some ransomware today and push it out and email it out. It's, I don't even have to make it. I can buy it. I can buy It's you, you look, you look at Microsoft and Salesforce and all these others organizations that have these software as a service applications and platforms. The exact same thing is available online for ransomware and malware. I could subscribe as a bad guy. I could subscribe to ransomware as a service and go online to a portal, a user portal and say, I want this ransomware. I want it to do these things. Let me upload my list and send it to these people. And then there you go. You hit send. It goes. And then, uh, and you can, I mean, it's, automated i mean you know it, it's not the it's not these guys that are in the basement with hoodies doing hacking no this is very well organized and i mean they have attorneys they have accountants Well, don't they worry have,
2: though they have english-speaking customer support so if you have any issues you just dial them that's up true. and
1: you're good to go they do they have professional okay. <laughs> they have they, they they have uh help desk support it, when you do get ransomware, and they're very good at helping you through the process and paying that ransom,
0: that's ridiculous. Yeah, there'd be like a like a Fisher Price my first ransomware kit coming out soon. <laughs> that's what it's, it's
1: it is it's
0: a, it's a next Onion article, yeah.
1: So for us, you know, the challenge right now is that things are moving so quickly around cybersecurity. The challenge is keeping our clients up to date, up to speed. Not from the technical standpoint, but from the information standpoint and education standpoint client you know uh, dear client here's here's a new threat or here's a conversation that we need to have because things have overnight changed like with the solar winds breach right just now all of a sudden just broke the foundation and we have to reevaluate so many different things that we didn't even have to think about before so 12 months ago you know what how and what we did for cybersecurity is now very different today you know that yeah. what worked 12 months ago does not work today, and that's the constant conversation that we're trying that we're having to have with with clients, and that is a challenge because they, it's so much information, so much volume, and the the reality is they they're not going to be able to comprehend or understand or or keep up with it all themselves, right? And and even for us, letting them know, hey, this is what we need to do. So I mean, the biggest thing for us is. making the recommendations, helping them best understand. And then the the businesses, the clients making budget available to be able to invest in cybersecurity. I think uh, the stat, it's an old stat. It was probably mid 2020 or even beginning of 2020 where 71% of of technology spend for organizations was going to start going towards cybersecurity. The increase 71% or something like that. So it was going to be Massive changes, and uh, the the other another aspect to the cybersecurity is not even the technology; it's the people, it's the it's the user. Because we can invest tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars in cybersecurity, all it takes is one one person, so one money. user, to bypass all of that.
0: And that person is my dad. <laughs> He's done it twice in the last, in the last year. I'm like, dad, just come on.
1: Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much I, we watch training. Yeah. Training, it's about training. Don't
0: plug
2: that USB drive that you found in the parking lot in, you know, turn it into the IT department, turn it into somebody that knows how to check it, mm-hmm. you know, and there, yeah. it, it don't plug in, don't order random, you know, if, if somebody ships you a USB drive in the mail. I don't care if it's a vendor or anything else. Do not plug it into a production network ever. Uh, if you really feel the need to use it for some reason and you can't verify its source, uh, do it in an offline environment. Take talk to your IT department. Have somebody take care of it for you. But don't ever plug it into a production network somewhere. I don't care if it's a dental office. I don't care if it's a healthcare office, wind farm, bank. Doesn't matter. Don't plug it in.
1: Well, there's there's three there's three really big avenues in which these bad actors. Oh, attack and are able to gain access. And one is through uh, social engineering, through the through the through people. It could be through phone calls, texting, uh, and emails, right? And so that you get uh, they get access by conning people, right, and and fooling them into doing something, taking action, or giving up information that they wouldn't otherwise give up. So, so the big thing is building that human firewall, you know, they, everybody, everybody in the organization needs to have some element of consciousness around cybersecurity. They have to be aware, you know, that, and understand that threats are coming from uh, Facebook. They're coming from, you know, websites that they go to. It could be Google, you know, Google ads will often have embedded malware in them. that. You know, Google does mm. the best to clean that stuff out, keep it out, but it still happens. The other element to this is the uh, is the physical aspect. You know, there's a lot of people are traveling, and uh, you go to the airport, and they have the USB charging stations. You know, use so though for those road warriors, you really, really want to avoid public Wi-Fi systems and uh, USB power charging stations because those those things are compromised a lot of them are compromised i mean the for the usb power stations it's called juice jacking and you plug that in your usb cable into your device your phone or laptop and it's you know you're immediately compromised you wouldn't you probably won't know about it right away because they're not going to announce it but they're on your system and then the other other element where there's just a lot of uh, it, you know, so whether it's social engineering or compromises or breaches or malware is is social media, you know, it's there, it is out there, it's rampant, it happens all the time. But the challenge is, again, it's not always obvious, they, they you know, in the past, it used to be, if you got hacked or breached or something like that happened, there was almost like, you know, flashing lights and, hey, you've been hacked or breached. nowadays the bad actors, the bad guys, they don't want it. They don't want you to know. They want to be running in the background, you know, and uh, they do their homework. You know, they look, they investigate on LinkedIn. They they want to find out who's who in the organization, you know? So they'll try to manipulate emails as well and trying to find out uh, who's who's even at work. If they get an out of office notice, now they, they can, that's information they can use. They make a phone call and find out. So it's it's not just a one-time try. They start, once they start gathering information uh, on you, they'll start adding that together and use that information against you.
2: Whenever we start an engagement, we do an assessment. Our first step is always to look at what's publicly available about this company. Uh, We get publicly available information, You know, look at their email address, see what we can find with that. And that doesn't mean dark web. That doesn't mean I'm jumping on the dark web to go look at what I can find or I can buy. But I'm I'm looking at what can I publicly get without spending any money. And it's actually amazing how much you can get just by having a uh, server exposed to the internet. And now I know any vulnerabilities you have. I know the software version. I know your firewall version. Um, And if any of those have active... Vulnerabilities or exploits, I might be able to just go buy an exploit toolkit off the internet or just go buy a tool and exploit your firewall, exploit your server. If nothing else, I can do a denial of service attack and take you off the internet. Now nobody can get to that server and it's probably going to crash on you. So, you know, mm-hmm. if nothing else, I can make, you can make people's days, they can make your day uh, really long and tedious.
0: But guys, uh, really appreciate the conversation today. This is like a really, wide-ranging topic uh on, on it and i think like i said it's i think it's a complicated subject to, to talk about because people don't exactly always know what what it solutions they would need i think software is really hard to stay up on and like you said you guys really connect companies with you know and help them navigate what they do and don't need because that is really really tough i mean you think about how how often people just research their amazon purchases like you're going to go buy you know i'm, I'm looking around at Plants and potters. Like I'm gonna go buy a planter for my pot. You go through 15 different types of planters for $15, and then you started talking about a fifty thousand, hundred thousand dollar upgrade to your IT system. Yeah, who's got time to really make informed decisions? So I think that makes a lot of sense where companies can have someone to be the liaison and help them through that that upgrade situ- you know situation and integration and all that stuff. So Byron, I'll start with you. Uh, where can people follow up with you and, and, and the company?
1: You know, uh, website is technologize.com. And uh, for me, you know, I- anybody, if they have questions, they can reach me on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter. And uh, I think the other thing is happy to uh, uh, chat with anybody if they call in and, and talk with us on, um, you know what what we do a little bit, and uh, honestly, I talk to we talk to so many people that uh, that aren't clients, and we, we just have a blast with it, and it's so much fun. And so, yeah, happy to chat with anybody and talk to them. But I think ultimately, you know, we're here to help out our local community as well because we're very community minded, and so there's a lot of things that we do here in our community just to help businesses in general.
2: Uh, You know, I'm not a huge social media guy. Uh, Maybe it's because too much social hacking happens. But, uh, you know, I I love talking to businesses. I love the variety of work that you get to that we kind of come across every day. So I love, uh, you know, you can always give us a call, technologize.com or or give us a call. You can get all of our information there. And and if there's any any needs or any unique needs that people have, that's that's our favorite thing to do is come up with a creative solution. How do we how do we get you from point A to point B? Um, the most effectively and, and the most reliably.
0: And your Twitter handle was uh, at spam blocker 7,500. Was that right?
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, we're about to be 7,600. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, you know, it really depends. We're in the beta phases. So uh, my, ch- well, my, ch- my
0: Twitter is real easy. It's Byron Martin.
1: Oh, so perfect.
0: Well, yeah, for everyone listening, we will link to uh, their company. LinkedIn, uh, their social handles and your YouTube channel. Obviously, you guys do YouTube videos as well. I've watched a bunch of them. So be sure to check out their YouTube channel where they're just helping to to teach and give you some quick tips about cybersecurity. So uh, we'll link to all that stuff in the description. So be sure to check that out. But yeah, thank you guys so much for being here on the show. Really appreciate it.
1: Hey, thank you, Dan. Appreciate it.
0: All right, well, we're gonna wrap up today's episode of Uptime. If you're new to the show, welcome. If you're a regular here, thank you for your continued support. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from each show. For Alan and all of us at WeatherGuard, stay safe and we'll see you next week. Is downtime causing you financial pain and putting a stop to your power production for months on end? It's no secret, lightning strike damage is a major cause of wind turbine downtime. This damage is preventable with our easy-to-install strike tape lightning protection system for wind turbine blades. Our incredible engineering, build quality, materials, and edge sealants withstand up to five times more abuse in the toughest weather and lightning conditions. And we've got the research to prove it. If you're tired of constant downtime, we can help. Reach out to us at weatherguardwind.com and schedule a free call. We'll get your uptime back in no time.